All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. My name is Mark Champagne. I'm your host, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. This episode is part of the Founder Series, where I explore the mental fitness required for entrepreneurs and teams to thrive during the most demanding phases of building a business. Because when minds thrive, so do innovations, teams, and businesses. We all win. Today, we have the stunning Amanda on the show. She launched Breckenridge Coaching and Advising after 15 years of servant leadership. Amanda is dedicated to partnering with executives at early stage, high growth startups on discovering ways to lead with compassion, develop sustainable cultures that empower teams to win and create scalable revenue engines for long-term success. Well, that all sounds very promising and exciting. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you. I am so excited to be here, Mark. Appreciate it. As am I. I mean, you have such a wonderful, beautiful energy to you. I just, I can't wait to dive into your your backstory and your work and just you as a human, which is actually the first question. So, you you know, I gave a little bit of context to your work and there's some job title stuff there. And this question Mm -hmm. is just to avoid that. So who are you? You know, what defines you as the lovely human you you are today? Oh, great question. So I am me as an individual. I am a proud partner and a wife to my husband, Brian, and a proud mama to my son, Grayson, and my daughter, Maya. Um, I am also a yard farmer. I love growing my own vegetable gardens and walking my crazy dog, Lou. And for work, I am deeply appreciative and grateful to be able to coach really first-time founders and executives at early stage tech companies. I love what I do every day. So it's great. Yes, we should point out that uh, the lovely Brian actually has been on this show uh, probably almost the probably the like the earliest days of the show. So it's so full circle. We're 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 having this this conversation. Well, thank you for sharing those details. And you know, I'd love to know, Amanda, just just to set some context before we dive into uh, some of the topics for this docu series. But just like, how did you how did you find your path to coaching early stage founders? Like where, Mm -hmm. where did that come from? Yeah, it's been a little bit all over the place, but, uh, so I initially started for the last 18 years or so I helped build startups. So was the first sales exec at Yelp helped build out their whole inside sales org, then transitioned over to Twitter and built out both their enterprise and market teams. Then went to change.org once I recognized I had this neat, neat skill set, but really wanted to apply it in a way in which le- left a better legacy in the world. And then the last role that I had was over at LinkedIn running their enablement teams. And through that journey, as I got older, what I recognized is initially I loved leading big teams. But as I got older, what I loved was really going deep with the individual to help them clarify what their values are, what, their, what was important in their life. And how do we ultimately get them to where they want to go? And to be honest, it took a pretty um, life-altering moment to make that switch for me after giving birth to my son. I got really sick with sepsis and it was difficult, but often it's those most difficult moments in life that transform you. And that was the moment that gave me the pause to say like, what do I really want to do with my life? I almost lost it. So what do I want to do with it? And that's what got me to say, 
I'm going to launch my coaching practice, which was in the beginning of 2019. And it's evolved uh, to now where I coach around 20 different founders and about 18 startup execs right now. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously know uh, some of the backstory with that that moment in your life where, where as you mentioned, you, you, mean, you almost lost your life. And those... Obviously, you know, I don't wish that upon anyone to, to spark this big moment of reflection, but I would love to, to pick on that experience a bit just to understand like some of it. You, you mentioned, you know, the, the big question, like, what do I really want with my life? I'm just curious to see like how you, how you went about processing that. That's a huge question. And that, that is a huge question too around processing it. I think um, you're right. I would never want someone to have to go through that experience to have that eye-opening moment, but I'm so grateful for it. So mm-hmm. after waking up from a moment in which you almost lose your life, you're like, okay, why am I here? What's my purpose? What are my gifts to give in this world? And a lot of times those big moments make you reflect on what is important and what isn't important. Yeah. Um, so through that, I really took the time to evaluate what are my core values that are most important for this moment in time, recognizing as you grow, as you change, as what's important in life shifts, your values shift. So through that, I recognize what my core values are. And that then pivoted to this new business that I wanted to launch, which is now three years old. So So that was some of my process that I took. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I imagine some of those questions are showing up in the flow of your your direct work with founders, right? hundred percent constantly. It's like, yeah. what's important to you? What matters? What are your values? And then how do we bring them to life every single day? Fascinating. I mean, I, I do want to ask, so before we, we, we really dive in, like why early stage founders? What's mm-hmm. the appeal or did that oh, just happen? Or? No, I mean, I, I think uh, I, when I look back on my own career, that's the time that I love the most. I mean, I was a 10th hire at Yelp and to be a part of scaling that company to a thousand people. So one is I I really love that stage. It's when you are figuring out everything from it's chaotic, it's frenzied, it's exciting, it's overwhelming, it's thrilling. Um, And for me, that's a space in which these founders really need a safe space to like just try things on, to have a thought partner, to learn to grow, to figure out who they are as leaders, as founders, how do they do and show up authentically. So to me, it's a stage of life in which is so challenging and stimulating, but can also really set the stage and the foundation for what this company is going to be long-term. And I just personally am deeply passionate about it. So it's a combination of passion of the startup world plus coaching that to me gets me here. Yeah. Well, you and me both. I mean, that's part of the reason this this docu series or limited series exists is just that, especially you know, with founders and entrepreneurs. I mean, unfortunately, the the mental health rates are some of the highest in any yeah. profession. Uh, probably for a lot of what you described, with just mm-hmm. like the chaos and the uncertainty, and like you're just you're doing it's, and the it's pressure. Kind of, the pressure, exactly, yeah. exactly. Throughout those phases of, of the business and, and investment, if you're going down that mm-hmm. route, I, what I'd love to know for, for you in your work, like how do, you, how do you open up the conversations? Like how do you start? Because there are some people that are just naturally 
you know, inclined to focus on their, their health and, and well-being. Yeah. Um, but then there's still a lot that just like, I don't have time to do that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe it's the runs or the physical exercises there, but to really slow down and really think and ask questions or work on what I would call mental fitness, um, we're not 100% there yet. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I, I'm in a, I'm in a position that when someone finally reaches out about coaching, they recognize that they need something different or that their current way of operating hasn't been serving them. Yeah. So to me, the power of coaching, whether it be me or anyone, it is a forced moment to pause and to reflect. Yeah. We are so frenzied as founders that we don't even take a moment to stop. And that to me is what even these one or two hours per month is it is a moment to pause and to reflect and ask the question of, so what is here? Like mm-hmm. just right now in this moment, what's here? What do you want? And then what are the beliefs that underpin it? So it's these moments to simply stop the frenzied spinning and the to-do list and the priorities to just collect ourselves and sink into what is here and what do we actually want and what's important given all the things that are going on. And then I think from there, it's a moment of asking those questions and then really intuitively listening and watching, not just the words, but the feel and the energy of what you get from the people around you. Yeah. And of course, there's a huge machine that's passing my window right now that you might be able to hear. So oh, I apologize about it that. It is all good. This is this is a real show. People get to hear all <laughs> the details that are happening. Um, just, I guess, on that note, like what comes up? Are there themes that come up at this this phase of of the business with founders? I mean, I obviously realize everyone's indiv- individual and whatnot, and, and there are different circumstances. But I guess in relation to early stage founders, I would imagine there are some some commonalities around some of the pressure points and whatnot. And I, I'd love to yes. just understand what you're seeing, and then and then most importantly, you know what you've seen work to help you mm-hmm. know process some of this stuff. Yeah, so there are absolutely some commonalities. And the more I do this, the more I recognize that, yes, everyone is completely unique and different, and that's what makes the world beautiful. But there is current, there's similar paths that folks take. So number one is how do you create clear alignment around the vision, the goals, and the priorities for your business? All too often, I find founders are executing and moving at light speed pace, but where are they actually going? So how do we pause and get alignment even, whether it be with the individual or co-founding teams around what are the three-year goals, what are the one-year goals, and then what are the 90-day, 60-day, and one-week goals that ladder up to those? And how do they as individuals not just do that for themselves, but ensure that everyone on their team is also operating or rowing in the same direction? Otherwise, you're not making any movement. Mm -hmm. So that to me is number one, is how do you create clear goals and priorities of your organization so that you're really efficient given the constraints of time and capital and how quickly you need to move. Second then is, all right, as you do that, then what are the culture of values that are most important to you as an individual founder? And how do you bring those forward in all conversations, all interactions that you have with your team, as well as the recruitment, the people that you're bringing on board too? 
so often it's the first three to four people that are part of a company that set the tone for who you are and who mm-hmm. you will be. So how do you do that right? So that to me is like the first two. It's, it's goals, it's priorities. And second is vision and values and bringing those to life. And then to me, the third piece is, okay, how do you start thinking about this idea of scale? Often when you get capital and funding, you go from time just being your own resource to time and capital being a resource. So how do you start thinking about operating simply as doing and executing to managing and leading to managing your investors to managing your board and to start thinking about recruiting and hiring a leadership bench and what in turn that looks like. So I'll pause there. That's just a a couple things to start, but there's a lot more underneath that. Of course. No, no, I get, I mean, I can feel like the 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 fundamentals, obviously, and and mm-hmm. how this would how this would play out. I guess what comes to mind as you're as you're mentioning these topics is just they're great questions. They're great things that that people need to reflect on. And I wonder the minds though of of the founders and teams at that stage, you know, to surface some really great answers to those questions. Like somehow we have to make sure that their their minds are somewhat clear to actually see, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, well, this is what it is versus kind of sifting through a clogged up room full of yes. jammed up with boxes, for example, <laughs> right? Like, which is most of our minds, many of the times when we're not, when we're just on default and, and especially founders that are going at, you know, just hyper speeds. Have you... What have you found works well to, I guess, clear out some of the fog so that, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the clearest answers can, can then surface in, in those exercises? Yeah. So I think number one is creating a space of trust and safety, right? Mm. I think that is a foundation of any relationship where for founders, it is so rare to have a relationship in which you can fully be honest. Well, there's yeah. nothing in it for me or any other coach, right? So to create that container in which there is no right way to show up, but other than yourself, it all starts there. Um, so that's number one. And I think when you start and you build that deep feeling of trust and intimacy and connection, it then becomes a lot easier to then take a breath and be like, what's here? Let's pause and let's sink into it. Yeah. And then for me, as a coach, it's how do we keep peeling and force peeling back the onion? So there's the most powerful question, which isn't long. It's what else? And, yes. and so often you'll ask a first question and then you get one level of an answer. And then you say, what else is there? And then you get another layer and another layer. And eventually with this unpacking, you get to the real root of what's going on. And that's the aha moment that becomes mm-hmm. really powerful. And yes, to your point, I am a huge believer in all the pieces like meditation, like running, like hiking, like nature that help get your mindset in the right space. But I do believe it all starts with creating a space of trust and connection um, that form the basis of great conversation. Hello, everyone. I first wanted to say thanks for being here, and I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to let you know if you're interested, I just launched the Better Questions newsletter designed to provide you with a consistent 15-minute opportunity to pause and think, because a pause leads to clarity and operating with intention where we all win and thrive. 
The newsletter is short, simple, and practical, providing with three quality reflective prompts and mental fitness twice a month. But as always, I'll adjust the frequency based on your feedback. Never forget, at any point, you are always one question away from a completely different life or outcome. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com, which will also give you a free preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. BehindTheHuman.com. Now back to the show. Well, on the topic of trust and and connection, I'd, I'd love your opinion around the investors and venture capitalists and whatnot that surround these founders. Because I've heard I've heard mixed mixed comments on this front, but I would, you know, I don't want to make assumptions, but I would default on the narrative that it's still kind of around, well, I can only share so much with Mm -hmm. my investors because for obvious reasons, I mean, they're writing the checks and, you know, I don't want to come off too vulnerable in a situation, but at the, you know, at the same time, and, and this is a huge reason for for this series is to bring all parties together and show yeah. like, you know, we can all work on this. Everyone wins, including mm-hmm. the end consumers uh, with with these businesses, right? So I'm just you're you're working with a lot a lot of people at that phase. Like, what have you seen? Uh, I guess first, are my assumptions correct, or are you seeing something differently? And I guess the second question would be, you know, like how do we start? moving forward mm-hmm. and like what would be the the approach because as you know there's there's some research coming uh alongside this this docu-series and you know i just i want to set it up so that it you know it's not just another oh yeah here are, here are the pressure points but here's what we can do right yeah. to just move the needle forward and and allow everyone to flourish in in all senses of the word mm-hmm. so i think you're i think you're absolutely right um, it is a really challenging dynamic that will exist, I think, no matter what, because there is an inherent power dynamic that is present Correct. in all of those relationships, right? Yeah. Here's someone who ultimately owns a significant part of the company, who owns a purse strings. There, no matter what, will be that power dynamic. And I think, if I can say, is where to start is for the founders is to get really clear on what does success look like for this relationship for you personally? So start Mm. with the end in mind. What do you want this relationship to look like? What do you want it to feel like? What outcomes do you want to generate? What, what defines a healthy partnership for you? So to me, it's always starting with like, where do you want to go? What do you want it to look like? What do you want it to feel like? And then how do you want to show up in each of these dialogues as a human to make yeah. this relationship strong and successful in the way that you've defined it. So I think to me, it's all in a way it's, it's defining what success looks like. So you manifest and you show up in a certain way. Totally. That's how it all starts. And then for me, you go to those meetings and I think the more that you can figure out a way in which it is authentic to you and direct and honest and create a partnership versus that difficult power dynamic the more I believe you're set up for success. And I think that starts yeah. at day one with that relationship. Well, and I think just going through that, that reflective exercise of identifying what, you know, what the successful relationship looks like to you, I mean, is a great jumping off point. Just to even share that, right? Like mm-hmm. Have the conversation from Absolutely. the beginning and, 
And I would imagine that, you know, helps relieve some of the pressure. It's not like this is just coming out of the blue down the road when things potentially, you know, become more stressful or whatever's mm -hmm. happening, right? Like we can, we can almost guarantee the rocky ups and downs of any kind of startup world or uh, entrepreneurial life. So, you know, in the moments of somewhat calm, like these are great periods yeah. to, to do that kind of reflection, right? And I'd argue, Mark, too, is, is don't wait until you have the investors to do that reflection, right? So much yeah. of the beauty of um, strategy is saying, okay, when do I need to get my next raise, the raise the next round of funding? How do I then back in a timeline that gets me there? And in that timeline, how can I allocate the right amount to meeting those, these individuals so that ideally, yes, sometimes we're desperate and we need to work with certain individuals with the money that comes. But as much as possible, how can we be intentional with who we want to work with, even in advance of signing those term papers so that we can ideally find the partnership that serves who we are as leaders the best? Yeah, I love that. I love it. What what are, you know, when, you, when you're first starting out with, with a client, are there certain things that you're measuring when it comes to, uh, I mean, the performance elements are, are pretty obvious mm -hmm. from a business perspective, but when it comes to well-being and uh, how we're feeling, I feel like it's still a little bit touch and go with, I mean, there are scales out there, obviously, but I, I'm just... I'd love to know like what's actually being used in, in practice or what you see works well. And, and tell me more about your question, scale or measurement of what? Progress of the individual or, or how are you yeah. measuring? What do you but, mean? Yeah, like what, what comes to mind? I mean, there's just so many factors, I guess, but what comes to mind is just whether it's stress levels or overall mm -hmm. happiness, well-being, like some of the more uh, emotional levels, you know, yeah. uh, or, or, or yeah, emotions of, of, of an individual. Like, how do you, how do you track that? Is that a mood score? Is that something yep. even realistic to propose? No, right? I would love to propose that to everyone. I think all too often um, founders say, this is my life and all my life is working. And to me, I think the more we invest in ourselves and our family and in the full part of who we are, the better we are able to show up as founders. And that is actually true from a neuroscience perspective for yeah. a moment. Like when we actually step away from work, we go into um, nature, we go into different ways. It taps into different networks of our brain, which actually create the aha moments that we wouldn't otherwise have when we're in this kind of hard driver position that we are in every day. Mm -hmm. So that's a tangent, but really yeah. important. So we can come it's back a really to important tangent. <laughs> um, but again, I, I almost feel like it goes back to that initial answer to how to partner with investors where it always starts with, what do you want for yourself? What do you desire? Mm -hmm. And there are some individuals where it's totally okay, where they say, all I want to do right now is put 180% of myself into work. Okay, if that's you, then let's go there and I will support you. Versus what I think is actually to be more realistic is how do you approach being a founder and have that fit into the broader well-being of who you are as an individual? Um, so, yes, I think it starts with asking questions like, what do you want to celebrate? For a moment, we so rarely pause and say, what are the successes? What did you uniquely do to contribute to those? 
what did you learn from in that process? So part of it is almost this force functioning of saying, let's take a moment to celebrate, to recognize, to, to look more deeply at who you are becoming, what's bringing you joy, so that ideally we can continue to manifest and recreate that for ourselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, no, it is. I mean, I, I guess the the theme that for me that's that's surfacing in the conversation is really, at least for right now, there's almost like a forced kind of situation where like we have to pull founders out of of the mm-hmm. situation, and you know, coaching is obviously a great way to do that. Uh, I'm sure there are other ways as well, but I mean, right now at least, like we need that forced moment of, and that's the that's the pause. That's where these questions come up, and at least if we start there, and <clears throat> even if it's a couple times a month you know, just building those curiosity muscles around, then Absolutely. all of a sudden, right? Then all of a sudden you start asking yourself like, okay, well, what can I celebrate this week, you know, on your own? Or it just starts to surface a little bit more. And, you know, maybe that's that's the unlock. It is, because you're building new, neuro, new neural pathways with that behavior, right? Is yeah. when you start to ask yourself the question, which you nor- rarely do is, what do I want to celebrate? And then you look at your team, who do I want to celebrate? How do I share that positive feedback? Because again, all too often as founders, we're like, go, 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 execute, execute more, more versus actually what is going well and how do we celebrate that too? And that generates even greater performance as a result. But all of that is new muscles that you need to build in your brain. Well, and I just like, so I'm reading a book right now uh, titled Zero to IPO Mm -hmm. by one of the co-founders of Okta. Um, I'm sure Brian would know, given his time at Box, they were always we a huge. We both read it box. already. It's a great. Oh, book. you did. Okay, yeah. so I'm reading that, and which is awesome because for me, you know, when I was running my company, it's been about probably three, four years, different kind of founder experience. I'm just putting my head back into this space from uh, from an operator standpoint. But as I'm going through the book, I, I just can't help but think, like, does it does it have to be so damn stressful? Like, does that journey have to be like that all the time? And is it just, is it just a function of, of like a venture backed startup where, you know, the objectives are kind of in the billions in terms of valuations? Or if I look at people like yourself and I that have created businesses that are flowing a little bit, uh, probably a little less, I mean, we're in the space, so we're we're biased there, but I don't know, like... uh, I don't know if my question is clear. I don't even know if I'm formulating a question, but the, the idea is just like, I guess to you, does it have to be so crazy? I don't know, but I have yet to really see it not be crazy. Yeah. For better or worse, right? And, and I think about every founder that I currently work with and the pressures are so intense. The timelines are so short. The capital is so limited that it's really difficult for it to not be super intense. Sure. And I wish I can say, here's the quick fix or the pill that would just fix it all. But I, I do think in a lot of ways, that's what you sign up for when you become a founder, which is yeah. why I think these practices of self-care and self-investment and really identifying what are your non-negotiables or the values that are most important to you are just so critical because work does become all-consuming. So how can you ensure that you're showing up in a way that is at least in line with 
who you want to be to ideally mm-hmm. make the work more joy- enjoyable as a result. Yeah, well, I mean, it definitely starts, again, with you've shared so many beautiful prompts with that I, I clearly resonate with. And it just, it, it lines up with a lot of what, what I'm talking about in, in my book, Personal Socrates, as well. Like, you have to get clear first, right? Yeah. And then, and then intentionally bring in, in the mental fitness side of things, like the practices or the activities or the things that will support who you're striving to become or the business you're striving to, to build, essentially. Um so I'd love to know, I mean, and this is just just for, for your benefit, that I mean, this show is not prescriptive. I mean, the idea is to br- mm-hmm. just surface as many ideas as possible because someone on the other side would be like, ah, I resonate with that. I can try that. But I'm curious, just in your experience and years of, of coaching founders, like what are, some, what are some of these non-negotiables that you've seen work really well with founders when, you know, they're jumping from, uh, one raise to the next, for example, mm-hmm. like just to be able to keep their head somewhat clear and, and calm in, in some of those high pressure situations. Mm. I honestly, it's gonna, it's unique to every person in their, in their state in life. Right. Um, yeah. I think sometimes there is a clear reason why a lot of times founders are younger because it's really hard to do, do this when you are a lot older, right? Yeah. It's harder to do it when you're a parent or when you are caring for others and so on. Um, but again, I think the non-negotiable negotiables go back to the individual. It can be, no matter what, I am picking my kiddo up from school. I yeah. am going to ensure that I do a workout in the morning or the evening. Or at X point in time, I'm breaking to ensure that I have a really great dinner with my partner. It's it, it, it really... It, yeah, to me, it's, it's anchoring, it, though. That's it. Yeah. And a lot of times, in order to create change, we need to make commitments to others. So that could even be signing up for a certain class that will force be a force function to get us out of the office or mm-hmm. get us off of our home computer, given we all work from home at this point. Um, but it, it, it's really making commitments to yourself, commitments to others that will ensure that you create more balance in your life. Because again, more balance allows you to be a better leader as a whole. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you specifically. I mean, I sure. definitely wasn't going to let you off the hook on this one. I wanted, to, you know, to pick your brain, obviously, with your work with your your clients and your founders. But, I mean, what does Amanda do to, you know, keep her mind clear so that you can be present and hold space in, in for for the people that... Uh, form up mm. your your work right i mean that's that's a skill uh in itself that you know you're you're taking on a lot of the potentially at least in the moment yeah. a lot of the pressure of of your clients as well and without you know some really dialed in i'm leading the witness here because i know you a little no, bit I so you. i know i know you do have practices but i'd love to know yeah what you do yes so for me, it starts with, um, I have my core values and they take yeah. the form of an acronym. It's GIFT. So mm. G is growth. For me, one of the ways I show up the best is I deeply believe in learning and growing and changing and catalyzing new thoughts and, and sorry, clients, but trying it on on my clients and hoping that a lot of it works. Unfortunately, some of it does. So yeah. G is growth. I is impact. How does whatever I do in my life have greater impact on people? F is flexibility. Um, I will be honest, I have a five-year-old and he is like the top of my priority. And I 
get him on my bike and I ride him to school every morning and we pick him up in the afternoon. And that for me is, is beautiful and T's team, which is my community around me. So to me, number one is getting really clear on what are the values that are most important for me right now, recognizing that in another year or two, it may completely shift. Um, mm. But values are number one. Number two is nature. Uh, I am very fortunate in that I live right next to the woods and Every morning I get up with my dog and I go hike and that is my way to really get ready. And third is before every client call, I sit and I just take deep breaths and I commit myself to showing up and being a container that just allows for whatever to come. And it even is sitting here with my palms open and taking deep breaths and let's just say, bring it, what's here and yeah. how can I be of service to those around me? It's those those pauses in between, you know, meetings or events or, you know, just going into a new new interaction are are so underrated and so mm -hmm. valuable though, right? I mean, I, I, I catch myself often because I mean it's so easy to even for this, I mean, you know, I had about 30 minutes. Like my mind naturally defaults to like, oh, I'll catch up on some of the emails and, and this and that. But like, no, instead I did yeah. a four minute breath work, you know, guided breath work round and and came and arrived here present, which I mean, we all know. I mean, just when you take the time to do this stuff, that there are tremendous benefits, not just, you know, for yourself, but the, the, the you know, the energy exchange with the person in front of you and, and the work is just better, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't do it. Why don't we do it, Amanda? <laughs> Tell the listeners. Well, I also, I mean, this isn't why we do it, but this is an arguing for doing it. But I, but I would say there's two other things that are really important. One of which is like, even when we pause in conversation with others and embrace that moment of, sometimes awkward pausing, whether it be mm -hmm. in a coach and a client relationship, founder, investor, founder, leader, it is often those pauses that one, allow for the real truth to come out and for another layer of depth and connection to arrive. But two, it's when we really pause and we listen and we are present that people then feel connected and a sense of belonging to. There's intimacy that's created through yeah that pausing and that reflection and that really feeling heard. So I do believe that pause is a beautiful thing across the board, whether it be you and I or any founders before calls, during calls, um, to just ground you in what's here and ensure that you're listening and being present. Um, yeah. I love it. And I mean, there's nothing that, that stimulates the pause and, and gives that sense of, of, I guess calm and presence than being in nature. I mean, that yes. is like you, you, I don't think there's ever a downside of jumping into nature. Never. <laughs> right. It's just, there's always, and you know, and, and I encourage people listening. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I would encourage people, you know, because I used to do this, but, you know, go into nature without the AirPods, right? Without mm -hmm. the podcast or the home. audio book. Exactly. I mean, because, uh, I mean, that was a big thing for me. I'm like, okay, well, when I'm taking that walk or, you know, doing a hike, I'll learn. But I mean, mm -hmm. you know, there, there are times, which is fine, but there, if it's not fine if we don't have any moments of silence. So it just keeps stacking up. Right? And if I can share it with you, there's actually neuroscience that supports that now. So we have yeah. two different networks in our brain. It's a task positive network and a default mode network. I'll be quick. But they're binary. So one's on, one's sure. off. 
task positive is in the moment you're executing on tasks. Your brain, it's almost like a sharp knife. And the more you use it, the more it's going to eventually get dull and you need to move out of that space. So in order to move away from the task positive to the default mode, it's often it's going in nature. It's repetitive moments where your brain doesn't need to think. And when mm-hmm. you tap into that default mode network, that's when you get the, you go into your big picture. It's when you're a source of creativity. Yeah. It's a source of kind of greater connectiveness with others. And that's when the aha moments come. So I'm sure yeah. you've felt that, right? Where all of a sudden you're out yeah. walking or you're driving your car on a road trip. And you're like, oh, got it. That's what I need to do. But it's yeah. really forcing or giving yourself that space and time to actually activate the default mode network, which is when you often can solve some of the most strategic challenges mm-hmm. when you're not forcing it, when yeah. your brain is just left to figure it out by itself. Well, it's just, yeah, it's letting letting the brain breathe, right? And, yes. and working some magic. It's beautiful. Totally. What have you found from a narrative? Because I'm a big believer, it, like a lot of the practices, whether they're journaling, meditation, breath work, like this stuff has been around since the beginning of time. It's not like the, these practices are new. What I do find that's been helpful is finding the right narratives to support. Mm-hmm. And these are usually individual, but just categorizing, let's just say early stage founders, like, have you found any good entry points in conversation to be able to say, you know, suggest a walk in nature, for example, or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, right? Like what resonates with this group? Hmm. Everyone is so unique. Um, But to me, it's figuring out what brings you joy outside of work. Yeah. What is it? And what does it feel like when you're doing it? There's a really big embodied part of ourselves that we don't tap into enough as humans. So when you feel that joy, what does it actually look like? What does it feel like? What does it offer you? How do you get them to actually start tasting? Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I remember that last time I went camping or the last time I showed up and started my meeting a little bit later. What was the impact of that space? So like, Go back to really taste and remind you of it and have them really feel it. And that then turn in turn serves as motivation to create that again. Yeah, I love it. And then as a coach, it's like, okay, who's doing what by when? And you bet your butt, I'm going to be calling you to to ensure that we are moving that forward and that's happening. So I think it's, it's getting to the root of like feeling how lovely that experience is again, and then making a clear commitment and having someone to hold you accountable to driving that forward. And no, last thing I'll say is knowing yeah, too that it's it. not just ser- serving you as a human, but it's serving your company as a result because you will show up better mm-hmm. when you get that space. Now we're preaching. I love it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I mean, this is, this is exactly, this is what lights me up. It's just, again, finding the narrative to, yes. uh, you know, get them there. And I love the idea of almost bringing them down a visualization and tapping into mm-hmm. the body and like coming out of the busy mind and, and going there. Um, cause it's just such, you know, there's so much, there's so much pressure in general in society and in the world that, I mean, many and myself included, I forget this as well, but that we're always one moment away or one question away yeah. from calm or peace or going to that place that brings joy, right. Or closing your eyes. And if you have kids, you know, seeing that smile come up on, mm-hmm. on your kid's face, I mean, that immediately pauses 
most of the narratives running in your mind yeah. in, in that moment, right? And, and, and it's, it's there for all of us at a moment's Always. notice. Yeah. Always. Well, Amanda, I mean, I want to respect your time and we could definitely chat for, for hours. Uh, you are definitely my kind of human. I've got a list of questions and, and great reflective prompts that, as you know, I collect and curate and, and, and pull out for, for listeners uh, as needed. So thank you for sharing those. And, you know, thank you for spending time in your own reflection and getting clear on you know, what you want in your life and following that path and following your values, because the, as you know, I mean, the ripple effect of your work mm. is experienced across the globe. And that's, that's something that I hope you celebrate and give yourself some self-love. At least I'm I saying it to you. Thank you. Yeah. I feel grateful every single day to get to do what I do. And it was a pleasure connecting with you as well, Mark. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Until next time. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you.